Hello and welcome to the UCL News Podcast. I'm George. And I'm Claire. It's reading week this week, which means we're officially halfway through the term. And to give you a break from all that, well, I guess, reading, we've been ferreting away to bring you the latest news from around UCL. And unless you've been living in an underground cave on Mars, you'll be well aware that it was the US presidential election this week. We chatted to UCL students from the UCLU American Society and also Professor Ewan Morgan from the UCL Institute of the Americas about their reactions to the results. Yep, and we also visited a newly reopened corner of UCL this week, the little-known Rock Room Museum. Mm, yeah, so there's loads to look forward to. We've also got Ed with us in the podcast this week, who's going to be telling us about some new research from the Institute of Archaeology, which reveals some surprising secrets about China's terracotta army. Hi, Ed. Hello. Hi. Um, but first, as usual, we're going to kick off with the news. So um, UCL Stratford, UCL's proposition to develop a new university quarter adjacent to the Olympic Park, was formally accepted by the London Borough of Newham at a cabinet meeting on the 24th of October. The decision gives a green light to UCL to continue work on developing proposals for the site, which it is anticipated will ultimately lead to capital investment into the borough of more than £1 billion, together with new employment and a major boost to the local economy. The proposal for UCL Stratford envisages research and teaching activities, as well as a hub for business collaboration, some residential accommodation and the enhancement of educational opportunities across the borough. Yes, and there's also loads more information about UCL Stratford on our new website, which is www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash Stratford. And on there, there's a video interview with Professor Nick Tyler explaining UCL's academic vision and also documents that set out the potential benefits to staff and the local community. Yes, and so from one set of visionaries to another, next week it's Global Entrepreneurship Week and UCL Advances are pulling out all the stops to encourage more students to aspire to be the new Richard Branson. Indeed, there will be a bus in the quad on Monday the 12th of November all day for students and staff in student entrepreneurship. And staff from UCL Advances, which is UCL Centre for Entrepreneurship, will be on hand to offer advice there. Since Advances was started five years ago, the team have offered scores of students, graduates and UCL alumni advice on starting their own businesses. It has also supported London businesses to grow and create jobs through mentoring programmes and business boot camps and is leading UCL's involvement in supporting Tech City, which is the digital and media enterprise cluster in East London. But um, finally, we've got Ed with us to tell us a little bit more about UCL research, which has given new insights into how China's terracotta army was made. Thanks, George. Yes, uh, Dr. Marcos Martinez-Torres of the Institute of Archaeology has done the most comprehensive analysis of the Terracotta Army's weapons and has discovered that the craftsmen who were responsible for arming the 7,000-odd warriors, chariots and horses followed a very modern labour model which is now associated with Toyota, the Japanese car maker. So what's different about Toyota? Well, Toyota is quite famous for using an alternative method of mass production, sometimes called Toyotism. It it involves using small workshops of highly skilled engineers, which are capable of producing any model of car as soon as it's needed. This is different, of course, from the traditional production line system, sometimes called Fordism after Henry Ford, where you have a single vast assembly line with countless workers, each dedicated to making single components. So you're saying that Toyota's more specialised method of production is in fact more than 2,000 years old? Yes, that's about it. Um, 
The first emperor, Qin Shi Huang, who commissioned the terracotta army and the rest of the city-sized mausoleum at Xi'an before he died, uh, he was obsessed with standardization. He introduced standard units of measurement, currency, and script. And he must have been a massive perfectionist because he demanded such exact standards for the terracotta army's thousands of weapons that they're all pretty much identical to the naked eye. Yeah, we've got a, a lovely video with Dr. Martin Ontoyos explaining how these items were made and how such high-quality production was possible more than 2,000 years ago. So check that out on our YouTube channel, which is UCL TV. So that's all the news for this show, but stay tuned to hear reactions to the US presidential election from the UCL Union's American Society and Professor Ewan Morgan from the UCL Institute of the Americas. It was an amazing result for Obama in electoral college terms. Uh, uh, no one was predicting such a large victory, and I believe that Florida has now been called for him. So he is now has over 330 electoral college votes, whereas many people, myself included, I have to say, were forecasting a maximum of 290 uh, last week. Uh, uh, so uh, he's done far better than expected in electoral college terms, but not as uh, sweeping a victory by any means in popular vote terms. America is still a very divided nation. Obama was uh, a, a hair-breadth winner in the popular vote, but it's the electoral college that counts. I'm uh, Ewan Morgan. I'm a professor of United States Studies at the Institute of the Americas University College London. Even though Obama made a big pitch in his victory address to working with uh, Mitt Romney to devise uh, bipartisan solutions, uh, uh, I don't think that the House Republicans will be too interested in listening to that. My fear is that the House Republicans will say America's interest is not having us cooperate with Obama because Obama is a closet socialist to all intents and purposes. America's interest is for us to fight him and prevent him from enacting his big government policies. So my anticipation is that we will have a continuation of uh, trench warfare in American government uh, for the next two years at least, possibly the next four years. I'm Beatrice Kelly, I'm a second year studying history of art at UCL and I'm the, one of the presidents of UCLU's American Society. It was the first election that I voted in, so it felt particularly cool to be able to watch sort of the impact of something that I was doing. Um, and also in Maryland we were voting on legalizing gay marriage um, and it was amazing to watch that pass as well. We started a viewing at 11 p.m. in one of the UCLU bars, um, and we were there, people were there until 7 a.m. I had to leave at 5.30, because uh, I was very tired, but I didn't leave until I knew that Obama had won. Well, Obama had a truly outstanding campaign organization, and uh, they uh, uh, effectively uh, did a lot to win the election, uh, before uh, Romney had even got going. Now, Romney had to concentrate on winning the Republican nomination uh, in what was a very difficult fight. Obama uh, had the Democratic nomination sewn up, so he could actually spend money uh, uh, promoting himself 
and actually defining Romney as, as his campaign wanted Romney defined. So they defined Romney as uh, the uh, vulture capitalist of uh, Bain Capital who would destroy jobs, the heartless millionaire who had no common touch. And of course, uh, it took Romney a lot of time to fight back. He fought back successfully in the first debate, but he couldn't sustain the momentum. So that was the first thing. The second thing, the economy was not the Achilles heel that many people anticipated. It would be uh, the economy uh, uh, was, if, if not robust, was at least uh, better than in 2008. Uh, the jobless figures in the last two uh, sets of figures released before the election for September and October went beneath the symbolically important 8% level of unemployment. So that was very important to Obama. And thirdly, in the swing states, and this was an election where uh, the, uh, uh, the, the victor would be decided about who won the undecided states, and in the nine undecided states, only two of the nine had an unemployment level higher than the national average. And most of them, particularly the all-important state of Ohio, it was below the national average. I think that one of the main things that Obama needs to concentrate on is unifying the country. Um, his term has, his first term has alienated Democrats and Republicans alike, um, which isn't necessarily what we want our president doing. And while I'm not someone who follows politics too closely, I think that this is the time to sort of um, recuperate, regather, get back together and figure out what we as Americans stand for, um, which is something that I think we sort of lost in recent years. America is uh, facing a set of significant economic and fiscal problems and a challenging international environment. Uh, uh, whether it will address these uh, effectively in the next four years remains to be seen. And one would have hoped that the experience of uh, the hurricane had uh, convinced sufficient people that climate change is a real threat, a real th a threat to, say, global terrorism. I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, uh, we're going to have a period of, uh, uh, I think, uh, continued incremental improvement, but not significant improvement in the American economy. Uh, the interesting question politically, will the Republicans learn from this, or will they just head for one last great battle in 2016 with a truly conservative candidate? I think that's what they will do and I think they will get a drubbing which will force them to change and reach out to groups they currently exclude, particularly Latinos. And finally, the UCL Rockrum is perhaps one of UCL's lesser known museums, which houses UCL's geology collection. I went to chat to curator Nick Booth about the Rockrum's history, some of the collection's highlights and their plans for the future. As I'm sure you can hear uh, from the site Echo, we're standing in quite a tall room. Um, it's on the first floor of the south wing of the Wilkins building at UCL. It's uh, quite a light and airy room. There's quite a lot of uh, large windows. We've got, we're surrounded by wooden drawers and cabinets, quite old style, like you'd imagine you'd see um, in a museum, sort of uh, maybe the mineral room at the Natural History Museum, probably quite a nice example. Part of um, the fun of working with the geology collection is that we are actively used by staff, students and everybody else. And part of that is, unlike a perhaps a, a typical museum, we encourage people to handle and touch as many of our objects as possible because that's how you learn. So in the rock room we're actually surrounded by 
lots and lots of drawers with um, lots of geological specimens in. So, there we go. so if you just pull open all these drawers, you can see some of the highlights of the collections. Uh, my name is Nick Booth. I'm a curator of teaching and research collections at University College London. There's been a geology museum of sorts at UCL since 1855. Uh, we, uh, we were one of the first uh, subjects to be taught, um, originally by uh, Grant, of course, who's famous for the Grant Museum now. Um, and uh, the collection's been well collected ever since, really. There's over 125,000 specimens. We've got two um, sort of separate uh, themes of displays um, in the rock room. The first is an introduction to the geology of Britain um, and that features rocks um, that are, I think the oldest is about 2,700 2, million years old. Uh, that's from up in Scotland and um, we've got a display, well the display includes samples from all over the UK um, including some of my favourite uh, types of specimens, which are trilobites, which are sort of small sea creatures that lived um, about uh, 400 million years ago um, to a bit more recently. Um, and they, they look like, well, I always think they look like little aliens because they've got their sort of heads on stalks and things like that. So it can be quite interesting. We also got fossilised fish and, of course, um, ammonites, which I'm sure everyone knows from... Uh, their trips to Jurassic Coast. Um, so that goes all the way up to, I think it's a couple of million years ago, includes um, a specimen of a fossilised crab, which uh, is on the shelf at the top. Um, and then we move around to um, minerals, their identification and classification. And uh, if the other displays are a bit more, um, well, as you imagine, rocks, they're sort of a bit monochrome, maybe... Um, lots of browns and greys. We move over to the minerals and suddenly you see yellow sulphurs and green garnets and copper. Uh, very bright, it's sort of very eye-catching um, and a lot of people like that as well. Um, so yeah, there's a couple more specimens which um, I'd like to just mention briefly because um, I think they're pretty amazing. Um, in the, well, one of the earliest specimens well, in um, years we've probably got here is a iron meteorite which was found in Virginia in America in 1858. Um, I think that's, uh, it's amazing to see something, you know, that's come from space. Um, we're hoping to put on events here and one of those we hope to be able to get out um, UCL's collection of meteorites for the public to handle and hopefully ask a um, someone who sort of specialises in meteorites um, questions about them. We've had certain famous uh, sort of collections come to us. Um, most spectacular is probably the Johnson Lavis uh, collection, which um, is recognised as being one of the best and earliest collections of um, material relating to volcanoes, specifically um, Mediterranean volcanoes. Uh, Johnson Lavis was a doctor. He trained at UCH. Um, but while he was here, he, he got fascinated with um, geology. And um, when he uh, died in 1914, he left his huge collection of um, specimens, sort of lava, but also he left, um, well, in this room actually above me, you can see some engravings from um, different volcanoes in uh, the Mediterranean and Mount Etna 
is probably um, one that you've heard of, and obviously Vesuvius. He was the first person to geologically map Vesuvius. And in fact, um, obviously Vesuvius is an active volcano, and there's times when he, well, one time in particular when he just escaped with his life when he got cut off by a uh, lava flow. So it's quite an intrepid bloke, really. Yes, do go and visit the museum if you get a chance. It's on the first floor of the South Wing and is open to the public on Fridays between 1 and 3 p.m. And that's all the news we have for this show, but we'll be back in a fortnight with more news and features from around UCL. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, you can tweet us at UCL News or email us at mynews at ucl.ac.uk. Bye.